Africa. Welcome to Daybreak Africa from the Voice of America. I'm James Barton, Washington. Today is Monday, July 25th, and here are some of the stories we are covering. Tunisians are voting today in a referendum for a new constitution. A lot of people think there will be a low turnout. We don't know yet, but the broader sense is that one way or the other, the draft constitution will likely pass. Kenya arrests foreign nationals in possession of sensitive election materials. A longtime Ugandan opposition leader joins the government. The parliament of Rwanda and Ghana agreed to bilateral cooperation. Liberia's anti-corruption chief criticizes the legislature for dissolving his commission. We are taking the back that the legislature have gone to work to create a new commission with the sole intent to defeat the purpose of combating corruption in the country. And five Southern African countries meet to prepare for an elephant census. Those stories plus Samson O'Malley sports are coming up on Daybreak Africa. Tunisians are voting today Monday in a referendum for a new constitution. Some say if passed, it will be a threat to democracy because it will reduce the power of parliament. Reporter Lisa Bryant in the Tunisian capital Tunis says turnout is expected to be low because many Tunisians are experiencing economic challenges. However, she says the referendum is expected to pass. I would say there's none of the excitement that we've seen in previous elections, for example. Certainly the ones that took place right after the revolution. But on one side, there's indifference. There's also more of a quiet support for this new draft constitution by a lot of ordinary people, working class people. And then there's real concern, um, alarm, um, by a whole other chunk of Tunisians. Um, many of them are perhaps better educated. Nobody says that, you know, they've had a, a fantastic decade since the revolution. But some are extremely worried about what this constitution, if it's passed, could deliver. For those of us on the outside, Tunisia, we can say, led the way for this uh, mass movement for democracy. Why are people now concerned? It's true. I mean, from the outside, Tunisia was, you know, sort of this amazing, you know, surprising sort of initial uh, success story in some ways um, for this Arab Spring. It certainly was the country that ignited this broader popular movement for change, for an end of strongman rule and just a change in more democracy. And it was after this large uprising in 2011, Tunisians got together, they drafted an initial constitution that got a lot of input. But the problem broadly is that these democratic gains that they fought for did not translate into real bread and butter gains. People's lives have gotten worse. Unemployment is higher. People are poorer. They are having a hard time in some cases affording food. Sometimes there's no basics on the shelves, especially if you are coming from modest means. So these democratic, you know, aspirations, yes, they have free speech, but they can't pay their bills. And that is a real issue. Lisa, given what you just said, what do you think will be the turnout in today's referendum? Well, here's the thing. Uh, What's happening, and I know you know we have uh, a new, a fairly new president since 2019. He's quite divisive, but he's gotten support. A lot of people think the turnout will be low. 
I don't know, but I will say one thing. When I talk to people on the street, you know, again, the cadre of activist students, et cetera, are going to boycott it first because they think that it is just so off the track of democracy. It would be an insult even to go to a voting booth and vote. Others may vote no, but then there's going to be quite a few people who are going to vote yes. A lot of people think there will be a low turnout, but... We don't know yet. It might surprise us, but the broader sense is that one way or the other, the draft constitution will likely pass. We will see. Lisa, thank you so much for joining us on Daybreak Africa. We appreciate it. It's my pleasure. Thank you. That was reporter Lisa Bryant in the Tunisian capital, Tunis. Kenya's Directory of Criminal Investigations yesterday Sunday said three Venezuelan nationals were arrested at the Jomo Kenyatta International Airport for possession of election materials, which they carried as personal luggage. Their arrest has prompted debate as many are questioning the credibility of the upcoming elections. Maureen Ojiambo reports. On Thursday night, Venezuelan nationals identified as Jose Camargo, Joel Gustavo Rodriguez and Salvador Suarez were arrested upon landing at Kenya's Jomo Kenyatta International Airport in Nairobi. According to Kenya's Directorate of Criminal Investigation Director George Kinoti, they carried a bag containing 17 rolls of stickers targeted to serve at least 10,000 polling stations in 10 counties. In another bag, one of the suspects was found in possession of a personal laptop, a personal monitor, five flash disks, one mobile phone, and assorted personal computer accessories. Hilary Mutiambai is Kenya's inspector general of police. The said stickers were not declared as per the law when they were impounded at the airport. Secondly, the stickers were not accompanied by the IBC officials as per routine procedures. And thirdly, that such sensitive materials were carried in a personal luggage of a foreigner. Kenya's Independent Electoral Boundaries Commission, IEBC, defended the three. It said in a statement that they were employees of a London-based company, Smartmatic International, that was contracted by the electoral body of Kenya to deliver election materials. The commission's chairperson, Wafula Chabukate, said that they were hired legally from Venezuela to deploy and manage the electronic voting system, which will play a central role on August 9th general elections. Kenya's Cabinet Secretary for Information and Communication Technology, Joe Musheru, said that the arrest of the trio was appropriate given they were carrying sensitive materials. But if you're procuring, there's a process in which you deliver goods into the country. You cannot just have it in your luggage. You're from Venezuela. Even the companies are not from uh, the company that is contracted uh, was not from Venezuela, even if they have a branch or Panama. So there's things that must be cleared. And as a country, we must be sure that whatever is being done is done above board. But I don't think there's any mischief that the government is trying to do anything. This is something straightforward. The police now claim that the three Venezuelan nationals were in the country on a private mission and that they are not employees of Smartmatic International as claimed. Their arrest has raised concern as the electoral body says that the police required the three to turn over important information and passwords. The IEBC says this is against the law and the police are interfering with the election process. Kenya's Deputy President William Ruto, who is also a presidential candidate for the upcoming election, has told the head of Director of Criminal Investigation and the police not to interfere with the election process and that such intimidations must be shunned. Mr. Kinoti, please save your time. Stop.
kept writing to us long letters. Leave matters of elections to IEBC. You have no business in IEBC. You have failed as DCI. We don't want you to fail our elections. With such matters creating tension between the electoral body and the police, Kenyans are concerned given the voting and electronic ballot counting is a very sensitive issue in the country. In the last general election, accusations of hacking sparked riots that led the Supreme Court to order a rerun of presidential election, saying they were mad with irregularities during transmission of results. Reporting for viewers, Daybreak Africa, I am Moreno Jambo in Nairobi, Kenya. In Uganda, opposition leader Norbert Mao, the president of Uganda's oldest party, the Democratic Party, has been appointed a minister in President Museveni's government. The move has sparked widespread calls from party members for Mao to resign from the party. Some analysts have also described the move as a plot by the government to suppress the opposition. Reporter Mugumi Davis Rakarinji has more from Kampala. Uganda opposition politician Nobat Mao was last week appointed as Justice and Constitutional Affairs Minister after signing an agreement to work with the government. According to a leaked agreement, the ruling National Resistance Movement government plans to appoint members of the Democratic Party of Uganda in top government statutory bodies and the executive branch. Speaking after being vetted by the parliament, Mao, from a strong critic of the government, said the agreement was for the benefit of the whole nation. He said as a minister, he could better advise the government on matters of security and democracy. We have decided to invest in the areas which we believe in. Peaceful presidential transition, national reconciliation, fighting corruption, uh, an inclusive national dialogue, and ensuring a rack of democratic constitutional reforms that empower citizens. Mao has been the president of the Democratic Party since 2010 and has on three occasions directly challenged the president. He previously served as chairman of Gulu District and a member of parliament. A section of his party members says Mao should cease being a leader of the party for having accepted to work with the government. Julius Dumba is the head of Uganda Young Democrats. He's already uncalled for. He resigned already. So we are saying he's not a president of our mighty party. He's now like any other person. Politician Dennis Sekavila, a member of Uganda's largest party, the National Unity Platform, describes Mao's move as selfish. Sekabila tells VOA that the government is working to subdue the opposition. That's why they are signing uh, good players like Mao from the opposition, because they would do, actually, if government had any opportunity to live without opposition, they would do that because opposition uh, gives checks and balances on government policies, and each time maybe they want to embezzle or root uh, from the consolidated fund, it is the opposition that... Uh, blows the whistle louder. Sekabira says it will not be easy to remove Mao from the office since he now has the backing of the government. Mao is not the first opposition politician to have been lured to for the government which has been in power for more than three decades. For VOA News, I am Mugume, Davis Ruakarinjini Kampala, Uganda.
You are listening to Daybreak Africa on the Voice of America. I'm James Butt in Washington. Today is Monday, July 25th. Instead to come on our program, Samson O'Malley Sports. The chair of Liberia's Anti-Corruption Commission says he has doubts about his personal security. Edwin Clamartin says his whereabouts are presently unknown to the public, implying that he may be in hiding. Last month, he recommended the prosecution of several government officials for alleged corruption, including Agriculture Minister Jenny Cooper. Last Friday, the Liberian Senate joined the House of Representatives to pass a new law that would create a new anti-corruption commission. The new law limits the powers of the body to freeze the assets of an alleged corrupt official. Claire Martin tells me the dissolution of his commission is an attempt to abandon the fight against public corruption in Liberia. Since my ascendancy as chairperson of the commission, we have acted consistent with the provision of the 2008 Act to ensure that those public officials that were involved in the act of corruption were brought under the spotlight for prosecution by the Ministry of Justice. We are taking the back that the legislature have gone to work to create a new commission with the sole intent to defeat the purpose of combating corruption in the country. Mr. Chairman, the last time we spoke, we spoke about your commission going after certain officials of government for alleged corruption. What does this new legislation mean now? Mr. Botte, this is a clever attempt to abolish the fight against corruption in Liberia. The act of the national legislature is purely intended to make sure that this commission does not exist. This commission, by law, was established to ensure that we prosecute corrupt officials consistent with law within a certain time frame if the Ministry of Justice fails. But the new commission that has been established does not have the requisite authority. And the fight against corruption will not be fully utilized. But we ensure that every remedy within the law will be applied consistent with due process to make sure that those things that were not corrected and those things that were invaded will be corrected by the higher court. Do you plan to go to court about this? Definitely, Bote, uh, we have to take the appropriate remedy in law. And that is, you cannot, by law, amend and create and dissolve or tenue position. So to do what they did is a clever attempt to wish on the present administration of the Library Anti-Corruption Commission because we stand up for truth. And mind you, history will judge us. Our integrity is on the line. That today, we are being persecuted because... We stood up for the truth. And come what may, nothing will deter us to ensure that those corrupt officials currently languishing and parabolating in government will be brought to justice. Let me ask you, because President George Weir and his administration have repeatedly said that they are committed to fighting corruption. Now you are saying that uh, perhaps this action is intended to put pressure on you to avoid prosecuting some people? Mr. Botte, if you follow my development and follow the progress of the Library Anti-Corruption Commission, I have not and in no way submitted myself to any form of pressure. Everything that we did at the Library Anti-Corruption Commission is strictly in consonance of the law. We will fight this to the letter. The Librarian people are watching this to the letter. So before I let you go, Mr. Commissioner, you feel that you are being targeted? Mr. Bodo, as I speak to you, my whereabouts now is not known. My security is presently with myself. 
and I've made this known to the Minister of Justice that there's troubling signs of my security. What exactly do you mean the nature of your security is not clear as you speak? What do you mean? I don't want to disclose to you the nature of my security. But since I assume this office, only one police have been assigned to me. And I communicated with the Ministry of Justice that there are troubling signs of my security in this process. And I want the Liberian people to know, for it, in the interest of justice and in the interest to ensure corrupt officials are brought to justice, I will act consistent with law. Mr. Commissioner, it's a pleasure speaking with you, and please be safe. Thank you very much. Edwin Clamartin is chair of the Liberian Anti-Corruption Commission. You are speaking with us from an unknown whereabouts. Rwanda and Ghana are working to improve their ties. This week, the legislatures of the two countries signed a memorandum of understanding promising to work together. Members of the two parliaments say the agreement will help them craft laws that hold their leaders accountable and curb Africa's dependence on foreign aid and influence. The MOU was signed in Rwanda's capital, Kigali. Yuji Wimana has details. The Memorandum of Understanding stipulates that it will promote interparliamentary dialogue and will strengthen bilateral ties to boost economic growth, peace and unity. And I can see the spirit of togetherness in Rwandans, which is the Rwandese as showing the way uh, that you don't have to bring anything that will divide us. Our focus should be on what will unite us and unite us for our common good. The Speaker of the Rwandan Chamber of Deputies, Donatilo Mkabalisa, says the two parliaments will compare notes on legislative and social political matters that help the citizens of both countries. She says the agreement will help them not only develop the capacities of their parliamentarians that are in the interest of the people they serve, but also will manage better institutions that report to the parliaments. Members of parliament from Rwanda and Ghana say if African institutions work together, they may help win the continent of its dependence on foreign support. They say the COVID-19 pandemic in Russia's invasion of Ukraine have served as a wake-up call for African leaders to look for homegrown solutions. Ejen Uimana for VOA News, Chigali, Rwanda. Five Southern African countries with the world's largest concentration of elephants are meeting in Botswana until Tuesday to prepare for the first ever aerial population count of the animals. The census lasts from August 8th until October 20th. From Haboroni, Botswana, reporter Mkundise Dube has details. The five countries are part of a large conservation area known as the Kavango Zambezi Transfrontier Conservation Area or Kazam. The area is home to an estimated 220,000 elephants, but Kazam member states are keen to know the animal's exact figures. Representatives from partner states are meeting in Botswana's resort town of Kasane for a pre-census workshop to prepare for the exercise expected to cost $3 million. The workshop ends on Tuesday. Speaking at the gathering, Kazam program manager Nezai Pullman said the elephant count will help assist in the management of the animals. This is a key component of the CASA strategic uh, planning and management framework for the conservation of elephants. Um, it was a recommendation that we cannot effectively achieve the goals and objectives of, um, of, of people and conservation in the absence 
of an undertaking like this to understand to the best possible estimates possible the elephant population in Kaza. Bozona-based conservationist Map Ives says the census figures will be key in showing elephant patterns across the region. You know, we hope to see what the results come up with. But what we'd be interested in seeing is maybe not only how many elephants there are, but um, um, the distribution thereof um, and what is the likelihood of those elephants uh, um, moving between countries, that is Zimbabwe, Namibia, Angola and Zambia. We know that these populations are basically one single contiguous population. Ives, however, is the census outcomes might not resolve growing human-elephant conflict. You know, I hope that they also take into consideration the fact that the human population has exploded in the areas surrounding the elephant populations in recent times. Um, and of course, if both populations are increasing and the humans are probably increasing faster than that of the elephants, you are going to have difficulties between the two. And I can't see these difficulties going away in the near future, and I also cannot see any interventions that may prevent that happening. Elephant populations are decreasing elsewhere on the continent due to poaching and the loss of habitat. But the Kaza region has seen an increase and has more than half of Africa's elephant population. For VOA, this is Mkondisi Dube in Haboroni, Botswana. It's time now for Daybreak Africa Sports, and here is something O'Malley in Abuja, Nigeria. A very good Monday morning to you, something. Good Monday morning to you too, James. We begin the sports in Morocco, where the women African Cup of Nations came to a close on Saturday night as Bayana Bayana of South Africa were crowned champions for the first time on Saturday night after defeating host Morocco 2-1 in Rabat. Hilda Magaya scored twice in the space of eight minutes in the second half after the hour mark to hand South Africa a first ever women African Cup of Nations title. It ended a round of five finals without success for Bayana Bayana who completed the tournament in Morocco with a 100% record as well as securing qualification to next year's Women World Cup in Australia and New Zealand. Desri Ellis, coach of Bayana Bayana, said it was a hard-fought victory that was well-deserved. We kept complete control of the game, could have had one or two more. I felt we conceded poorly, a little bit complacency, but we stuck out. We stuck out and we fought till the bitter end, all glory to God. But I take my hat off to the whole team. They're absolutely magnificent. They stuck to the game plan. They didn't allow them to play. And when they did get behind us, the defense was magnificent. Captain Rafiola Jane and Jermaine Sapusimwe, who shared their thoughts on winning their first African Cup of Nations, described their feelings as one of a lifetime. I'm overly excited, overly grateful. Um, it's been a long journey for us to get to where we are today, on and off the field. This is the best camp we've had in a long time where we just wanted to do it for one another. We put individual individualism um, on the side and just focused on teamwork, and I think that's what got us to where we are today. In athletics, Kenya's Olympic champion Emmanuel Korea ran a textbook tactical race to win the world 800 meters title on Saturday in Eugene at the World Athletics Championships. He won in one minute, 43.71 seconds. Korea said the race was unpredictable, but was glad he picked the gold medal for Kenya and himself after a very difficult season. 
This race, uh, the 800 meter is the toughest one. Uh, I mean, to be honest, even if you, are, you have your own calculations, it might never work. I'm confident and maybe going forward to the Birmingham, we are expecting something better. And out to boxing, where Ghanaian boxer Isaac Dubois fended off an ever-aggressive Juet Gonzalez on Saturday night to end a featherweight title shot. The former WBO junior featherweight champion won a 10-round split decision at the Grand Casino Hinkley in Hinkley, Minnesota. Ghana's Dubois won their 126-pound match 96 to 94 on the scorecards of judges team Chitham and Mike Fisgland. George Patrick Morley scored Gonzalez a 96 to 94 winner. In his ringside interview, Dubois gave credits to his opponent for putting up a good fight. He's a true warrior and um, you know his team, they put tremendous, um, uh, they prepared him really well. And that's it on Daybreak Africa Sports. I am Samson Omale in Abuja, Nigeria. It's back to you, James, in Washington. Thank you, Samson. Have a good day. And that's it for this Monday, July 25th edition of Daybreak Africa. We thank you for starting your week with us. For more African news and features, visit our website at voaafrica.com. On behalf of the Daybreak Africa crew, I'm James Butt in Washington wishing you will have